How's working from home been going for you? Remarkably Remote from GoToMeeting will help you succeed in today's new normal. In just three minutes or less, we'll share simple but helpful tips to keep you on track. From managing your motivation, your workload, your relationships, to hosting and attending virtual events that keep you connected with your clients and colleagues. So check out Remarkably Remote on your favorite podcasting platform or head to gotomeeting.com slash tips. Another edition of the Metrospective, Pete McCarthy, Tim Britton. Tim, what's going on? How are you? It, it almost looked like baseball weather for a couple days there, Pete. It's been weird, right? Because like all April and, and the first half of May, it, it's been unusually cold in New York. So it, it hasn't really been until now that I've been like, man, it's it's really supposed to be time to be outside to watch baseball. Well, it felt like that, uh, you know, in the, the neighborhood here in Astoria at the bars on Saturday night. Everybody's <laughs> hanging out outside and taking it all in over the course of this week. But uh, yeah, I was able to go for a run, went to City Field. I hadn't been there in a while. I didn't touch the What's, stadium, what's going on there? Anything, anything big? Not a whole lot. <laughs> Not a whole lot. There were about, uh, I don't know, 20 police cars that were parked there i don't know if they're typically out there in left field or not but other than that there is really nothing notable happening there except that the chop shops across the street very much in business very much working <laughs> that that is an inelastic demand in in flushing i believe based off the number of chop shops that have been there in operation forever they they will somehow some way continue on and even through the pandemic uh they they are right now uh it feels like every episode we've kind of started with the hey what's the latest on getting real baseball back and and something a, a little bit more firm for this episode as on friday major league baseball sending a 67 page document to the players association detailing some various protocols, rules uh, that will be in place to try to prevent the spread of coronavirus amongst baseball players if and when they are able to start this season. And it is something else to go through uh, what Ken Rosenthal and Evan Drellich made note of uh, in the athletic story. There are so many things. It's so drastically different from what even people at home would understand watching a baseball game, no spitting, right? I mean, that's we've seen that in, in Korea, uh, so it's not as if baseball players haven't been able to adjust to that, but you know that's been a thing. No tobacco products, no chewing of sunflower seeds, uh, no you know, certain forms of therapy after the game, players being discouraged to shower at the ballparks after game. They're on the road... They're supposed to basically lock down in the hotel, but not allowed to go out and go to restaurants in addition to tens of thousands of tests that would be put forth by Major League Baseball every week. And it is, look, it's probably what needs to be done in all of these ways, but it really shows just what a task it is going to be for Major League Baseball, for the players, for all these people to be involved in order for us to see baseball this year. Yeah, it really hammers home the magnitude of the challenge. I think it was Joel Sherman from the New York Post who said that the depth of that that 
document, I guess, uh, impressed him, but also kind of depressed him in the sense of, you know, you, you like to see that amount of critical thinking going into it for Major League Baseball. And they understand uh, just how thorough they have to be in, in plotting this out. But when you see just how many things and how many kind of, it's not just smaller uh, you know, you can't do this thing that you like to do. Uh, you can't go to a restaurant on the road. It's like you're trying to change certain habits uh, uh, that, that factor into how guys play the game. You know, spitting sunflower seeds. Uh, that That's kind of just an impulsive thing that, that everyone does in baseball. Uh, and I, I think that's difficult for to, to legislate out uh, even if just for a year. Uh, so you get a sense of... of just how difficult this is going to be and just how different it's going to be when you see diagrams of, okay, here is where the third base coach is going to be sitting. Here's where the backup outfielder is going to be sitting. Here are the rows in the stands where the the on deck, <laughs> the, the guy three hitters away is going to be, be sitting. Uh, so there's a lot of different things that go into it. Um, and I think that just emphasizes again that this is this is going to be hard uh, if, if we're going to get it done. Uh, and... Uh, it's not going to look like the normal baseball at all uh, if it happens. Even some of the rules within the game, and, and there's not a ton of this, but I, I did notice if, let's say it's between pitches, a defender really has to get away from that base runner. So let's say you're holding a guy on at first base and it's a ball and the first base wants to hang out in that area. No, you kind of got to stay away and then come back later. And, and maybe that would be the time of thing type of thing that over time people would just become comfortable with and it wouldn't really be, uh, you know, enforced to that degree. But you know, even certain things like that, uh, you could see I, from, you know, pitchers warming up, having their own baseballs to warm up with, with the, you know, concern of pitchers, you know, both touching a, a baseball in addition to the catchers. I mean, it's just, there are so many things to think about from, as we've talked about the travel, the game itself, baseball, spitting, no hugging, no fist bounds, no high fives, uh, you know, certain procedures within the, the clubhouse or the uh, locker room area for players so that they're not too close. They want to spread out the lockers more and maybe end up using more of the stadium to spread people out because you're not going to have all these other people. I mean, and even having some of those lockers potentially outside because they feel now that, it's more difficult to transmit if you are outside. At least there's some evidence that would suggest that. So <laughs> I just I can't I can't read it and say I think I'm going to see baseball. Right? I I don't know how you could read that and feel optimistic that there will be a baseball season. I mean, even if you're going to do the bubble thing in Florida or Arizona. Even that has so many challenges. Yeah, you, you see this and and it's hard to imagine it coming together, certainly with the speed that there, there's this, like, this idea still that you could start the first week of July, start a season the first week of July, let alone that would spring mean training and all that would have to be before it. Like, you know, we've mm -hmm. heard that for kind of two weeks now, maybe even a little bit longer, and it doesn't seem like we're getting any closer to that actually getting off the ground. Uh, and so it just, it seems really, uh, like I said, just the magnitude of everything that has to go into it. You know, that, that first base microphone that Pete Alonzo was talking about, it's not going to get a lot of use uh, with conversations at first base if we play baseball at City Field. Uh, I loved in, the, in there that you had 
you know, the catcher, if he's giving signs to the infield, can step on the grass. Usually that constitutes a mound visit. But, you know, we're going to be lenient about that this year. And I was I was wondering, like, what umpire would have been the guy that would have called that? Uh, <laughs> Angel otherwise. Hernandez. I didn't, I didn't even know that was a rule, really. Uh, so it, it's there's just so many different things you're trying to change uh, and trying to, to modify how guys go about it that, yeah, it's it's – when you know every time you talk about well the owners want to play the players want to play like those when you have those two aligned you usually get it done but you realize just how many hurdles exist here and they're not hurdles that baseball in and of itself can control and the owners and players are not yet aligned on the money and and we really haven't dove into that much on this podcast yet uh but obviously look there's a lot of money at stake, less money than in previous years. The players have already agreed to uh, take a prorated portion of their salary. So if you're going to play half a season, they get half a paycheck. The owners are trying to get more and uh, to cut the pay further than that, considering that now it is known, essentially, that there will not be fans, at least to start this 2020 season. And, and Blake Snell of the you know, Tampa Bay Rays said he wants to get his and on the Twitch stream. Uh, I, I think rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. And just my thought is that he was, uh, he did a pretty bad job of a sensitive subject uh, in order, he, what they need to do, the players need to do is compare their situation to the owners. You don't want to be in a situation being compared to other industries, other people, essential workers, uh, and you come off looking greedy when all these other people are dealing without uh, having jobs. But if you're going to go after ownership, well, maybe you want to see the books. Maybe you want to have a better idea of just how much of a hit there is going to be to the revenue. You also have you know cases where these franchises have gone up in value to such a degree over decades now that if you have one down season financially as an owner, I mean, is it going to ruin you if you already made this deal with the players that they would take a prorated portion? It's obviously very complicated, but it was frustrating to see everybody jump down Blake Snell's throat when I think the players do have an argument in this situation, even if it's one that nobody, no fan wants to hear from either side, the owners of the players. Right. I mean, no one wants when when all of this is going on money to be the reason there isn't baseball in 2020. Uh, but like you said, I, I think you can agree with kind of the, the bottom line message that that Blake Snell has, which is you understand why players who are taking a greater risk than ever before as players uh, this year to play in the middle of a pandemic. This isn't like lifting up the country's spirits during World War One or World War Two when, you know, playing baseball was not deleterious to your own health. Uh, this is this, this might uh, compromise you athletically, physically and financially longer term. Uh, by playing this year uh, so you understand the concern a player would have uh, saying like I want to get mine is is almost no one is sympathetic to that sentence when it whenever no. it is said um, not when you're so making seven million dollars right uh, but you know like like you said the I think the, the PR strategy has to be to compare it to what ownership has, uh, you know. And if, if Major League Baseball wants to say, as it did, uh, as reported by the Associated Press, that it's going to lose $640,000 per game played without a fan, without fans there, well, show us the books that, that tells me that. Show, us, sh- show me uh, how you break down revenue, 
uh, and, and all aspects of it. Because like, like with owners, you know, a player uh, and and Snell is maybe different because he's got a longer term deal signed before he was going to hit arbitration. Uh, he's younger. He's got kind of a, a longer on ramp for his career to make money. Uh, but you know, the average major league career is four or five years. Guys mm-hmm. that you know missing an entire year or having your pay cut substantially for any of those years really hurts you. As an owner, you know you can buy a team for a set amount of money. You know, think of of how much of the Mets might get sold for. Yeah, they, they could lose money this year, sell the team, and be okay financially. Uh, you know, the owners have such a longer period of time to make their money, uh, and you know, even if they're not making revenue year over, not profiting year over year in the baseball business. A lot of them are making money off of the neighborhoods around the stadium, the parking around mm. the stadium, or just in the franchise value going up tremendously over time, or, or what you're getting in revenue sharing uh, and media money. So I, I think that's what it's it's always going to be difficult to make that argument uh, when fans know what the players make and don't know what the owners make. You know, like, I think like that's we a big part Alex, of it. Yeah, we talked about with Alex Rodriguez uh, and Steve Cohen as potential owners for the Mets, and Rodriguez doesn't have the money to do it. Like Alex Rodriguez is the highest paid Major League Baseball player of all time, and he's married to someone who basically has the same amount of money as he did uh, going into it, and he's still like one fifteenth as rich as Steve Cohen. Like an entire twenty-six man roster of Alex Rodriguez's have would make less money over the course of their career than Steve Cohen has. Like that's the difference between between players and ownership here. But I don't I don't like the comparison to Steve Cohen because he made his money outside of baseball. If we're talking about owners who have made money within baseball, like owners I would imagine have made more. An individual owner has made more, especially when you include the franchise value, than Alex Rodriguez made over the course of his entire what eighteen to twenty year career. Right. I mean, I would have oh, yeah. to think that that is true. Now, we don't know it for a fact. And I, I think you hit on something because I was going to ask you, you know, people always fans always seem to identify with the owners and villainize the players. And it's not across the board. But I think more often than not, that is what you see. And I, I understand neither side is necessarily sympathetic, not in this situation, not in many where they're arguing over large, large, large sums of money. But I don't understand why a fan wouldn't identify more with a player, especially if they don't own a business and have an employer and work for somebody else, or maybe they're in a union in a, a different business. I, I don't get why the, the player is always villainized and the owners really aren't. But you don't hear owners speak out about this stuff individually a whole lot. They leave that to Rob Manfred. And as you mentioned, we don't know what these teams pull in as uh, profit year after year after year yeah i mean you look at like uh the, the marlins for instance for instance uh i'm looking up here jeff loria bought them for 158 and a half million in 2002 he sold them 16 years later for 1.2 billion dollars uh, and, so and had up, the taxpayers you know, build a stadium down there that right, he had made the money taxpayers on. build them a stadium uh so that that's a franchise value that went up sixfold in 16 years and it, it's not as if they were particularly well run in that time obviously the stadium is is what was the big thing there uh but you know the 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 value of these franchises has gone up so much that like i i understand uh that the idea of players having lesser salaries this year than any other year they're not playing as much uh but i i 
you know, I, it's hard to feel sympathy uh, for owners when when the the value for their franchises are so much higher now than when they bought them, almost across the board. Even if you've just recently, you know, even the people who bought the Marlins uh, recently, like the value of that team has still gone up uh, in the years since, uh, and you know, they, they seem like they will still keep going up for an extended mm-hmm. period of time. And again, uh, the players, they've agreed to a prorated sum. I mean, they've agreed to basically take half pay if there's going to be baseball over the course of this season. And then, you know, if they take a hit in free agency because owners don't have a whole lot of money to spend, I, look, that's part of it. That's part of the market and the yin and the yang. I, I just, you know, that, this is so that it just, I, I think we all find it frustrating, right? Everybody finds this frustrating. Just get it done, get it done, get it done. But when one side is being villainized far more than the other, the way that I look at it, uh, I, I just I think it's worth having that discussion. I do want to get into some things specific to the Mets here. Uh, a few weeks back, Tim, we dove into what the future of the Mets pitching staff might look like and, and really the rotation. So I thought we could do the same thing for the position players here and, and some of the key decisions that we made in the short term. Now, first of all, what is going to happen with the designated hitter? We know if there's a season this year, it will have a DH. It's probably a pretty good sign that the DH is here to stay, which would be a real boon for the Mets, as we've talked about in the short term and potentially in the long term as well, when you consider the the glut of outfielders and guys that don't really have a position, you still have even amongst the younger players. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about it with Yuenes Cespedes for this season. Obviously, Mm -hmm. he's in the final year of his contract, but that there are numerous other options behind him to be a DH for this team going forward. J.D. Davis, chief among them, uh, is a guy who, you know, might be able to play a little bit of left field, but you don't want him there probably on an everyday basis. Uh, And then you've got Dom Smith as a guy who could play for, who could upgrade your defense at first base if you wanted to put Alonzo at DH. And then Robbie Cano, you're going to have for... Uh, four more years, including 2020. So three years after this one, uh, how how long for that? How much of that period of time is he going to be a viable everyday defensive second baseman for you? So I think you've got so you know it, it'll be interesting to me to see how many teams because we've seen in the American League lately there are very few Amer- even American League teams that have a set DH on a day to day basis. A lot of them like to cycle guys through in and out, uh, give guys days off their feet uh, a little bit here and there Uh, whether a team like the Mets decides you know what JD Davis he's going to be our DH you know on a 120 out of 162 games then we'll cycle guys in the other times uh, maybe play him in the outfield here and there but he's going to be our primary DH or do you want it where you you've got a different guy there kind of night after night you can mix Dom Smith in there in order to get his bat in the lineup I mean the Mets they, they have a number of different ways they could go uh, another key decision, it really is going to be Michael Conforto. He's a free agent after next season, same as Noah Syndergaard. Now, Syndergaard's situation is even further complicated with the Tommy John. Conforto, we know he's represented by Scott Boris. He's famous in the past for taking guys to free agency. It's not always the way things go. Conforto basically said he'll make his own decisions as he goes forward here. But I feel like once you get within that two-year window to free agency, a lot of players just say, I'm almost there. Let me let me get through this sprint, put up some big seasons, and then see what numbers come in. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing that uh, there are 
examples of Boris clients uh, who have signed extensions. You know, sure. Xander Bogarts, a couple of years, I think two years out of free agency, signed one with the Red Sox last year. Uh, Steven Strasburg signed one during his walk year, uh, the, that initial seven-year, $175 million contract. So it, it's happened before. I think the complicating factor with Conforto is you've got no idea what free agency is going to look like this offseason. So mm-hmm. you don't, you know, if, if you're the Mets and you're trying to peg a value to what you what what you think Michael Conforto might make as a free agent, uh, you don't know what the target is there. You you know you don't know if Mookie Betts is going to be a forty million dollar player if he's going to have to settle for something like thirty million. Like there's a huge range of outcomes uh, for setting the market this winter and kind of what happens to it the year after that. So if you're the Mets, how do you um, how do you kind of figure out what that's going to look like to make a good offer for Conforto now, mm. uh, an appealing offer to him now that also isn't overpaying based off of what the market might have been without uh, the pandemic? So I think that's that's the complex issue. And I wonder if with you know Syndergaard in his situation now that they didn't sign Zach Wheeler long term, uh, you know they're not going to sign Marcus Stroman to an extension before he hits free agency. Is Conforto the guy you put? that money towards you say you know what we we extended Jacob deGrom that's our pitching move now let's put let's give Conforto the money that's coming off the books in, in UN assessment as in David Wright this year that's the next big move we're going to make to solidify the position player side of things there are certain times when you don't want to have to go to the doctor's office to get help for a medical condition if you're dealing with a condition like erectile dysfunction You want treatment as soon as possible. So that's why our friends at Roman have spent years building a digital platform that connect you with a doctor licensed in your state, all from the comfort of your home. Roman makes it convenient to get the treatment you need on your schedule. Just grab your phone or computer, complete a free online visit, and you'll hear back from a U.S. licensed physician within 24 hours. And if the doctor decides the treatment is right for you, Roman's Pharmacy can ship your medication to you with free two-day shipping. you also get free unlimited follow-ups with your doctor anytime you have questions or want to adjust your treatment plan. With Roman, there are no commitments and you could cancel anytime. So if you're struggling with ED, go to GetRoman.com slash Mets for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com slash Mets for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. And we thank you for supporting our sponsors. As we talked about with the pitchers and with the defense being as poor as it is and and looking that way for the foreseeable future, unless something changes in in center field and a couple of other spots, you really need those strikeout arms in the rotation, I think, to make this whole thing work. And Conforto is he's fine defensively, but he's not. He's not exactly a plus in any way, shape, or form out in right field. So uh, if you had to prioritize either pitching or offense, I mean, I could see how they might lean towards the pitching, even though this center guard situation obviously throws another monkey wrench in addition to the pandemic, as you mentioned, the ultimate monkey wrench here. Yeah, and it, the Mets are in the odd position now, like we talked about a couple of weeks ago, where there's a lot more depth on the position player side of things than on the pitching side of things. And that certainly hasn't been the case for the last several years. So you can, you know, this, the lineup would be worse if Conforto were to leave after 2021, but you've got Pete Alonzo, you've got Jeff McNeil, uh, you've got Ahmed Rosario and, and Davis and, and Dom Smith. Uh, they're all under team control for an extended period of time. You've got Brandon Nimmo through 2022. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, you're not going to have all of these guys on the team. 
in a few years, but maybe you've got enough to weather the loss of of a Conforto uh, to to still be a pretty good lineup and to pour that money into somewhere else on your roster. I think that's that's really one of the big questions to me is who is the next big investment for this this front office? Who is it? Someone on the roster now, or is it somewhere outside the ro- outside the organization uh, to firm up a position that they don't have settled just yet? Well, I'd love to see him go up the middle. I mean, I just think those are the vital positions, whether it's behind the plate. And I understand there's a lot of risk in going long term with someone back there. We saw it to some degree with Mike Piazza. I don't think anybody's taking that contract back. But on the back end of it, you saw how difficult it can be with an aging catcher. The dings that you collect there. And it's not always so easy to slide someone to a different position. And obviously, Pete Alonso, you figure he's going to be the Mets' first baseman for a very long time. I'd love to see center field, but that's kind of a tricky one to find a free agency as well. Guys, you know, when they hit their 30s, generally aren't covering a, a ton of ground unless they're the best of the best. Now, maybe Mookie Betts would be an exception to that if they wanted to jump in and uh, make a run at him in center field. You figure JT Real Muto would be an option behind the plate as a free agent. You take a guy from the Phillies as well. Uh, we mentioned Cindergaard earlier, and I guess Trevor Bauer is a name that's come up. Uh, Conforto would certainly be one. Is there is there one in that group? And, and again, that's the wish list, right? But if you can have one, Tim, is there one that you would jump on? I mean, yeah, it's, it's Mookie Betts. He's the, he's the second best player in baseball, I think. Uh, but I, I don't, I don't think you know. Maybe if uh, his market becomes just really weird this offseason, the Mets could get in on a short term thing. I don't, I don't expect the Mets to be paying out the three hundred and fifty or four hundred million dollar contract that we thought Betts was going to get coming into a normal baseball season. Uh, I think Real Muto is really interesting uh, because, uh, in terms of uh, of an individual player, so, you know filling a need for this team, Real Muto coming in and being uh, a catcher with his defensive skill set and what he provides for you offensively uh, would represent a pretty sizable upgrade, even off of a decent Wilson Ramos season last year. And, and we'll see, you know, Ramos himself is reaching that that age for a catcher that it's it becomes a little bit more difficult night after night to, to play that position. But like you said, it's really hard to give a, a long-term deal, you know, the six, seven-year deal to a catcher uh, as he's getting into his 30s, because he just that position you're gonna it, it erodes you quicker than anywhere else. Uh, maybe with a designated hitter, you think about it a little bit differently. You know, all the time when Piazza was on the Mets, you wondered, man, if they just had a DH, how different would his mm. body have felt uh, in those postseasons in '99 and 2000? Uh, you know, how different they could have constructed their lineup uh, for those stretches when they had a, a good backup catcher as well in, in Todd Pratt. Uh, so maybe you're a little bit more willing to go uh, longer with a catcher in the National League now than you would have been because you have that DH option. But at the same time, a lot of the value Real Muto brings is what he does behind the plate as a catcher yeah. uh, defensively. So uh, I think that's a really complex uh, free agency question for them with, with Real Muto. He's, he's got the relationship with, with CAA also, and we know the Mets were hot uh, after him when he was traded to Philadelphia. Um, outside of that, uh, I think it's you know I, I think they have to decide. Do they want to keep Conforto, Nimmo, both, neither, long-term? Uh, do they do they view Nimmo as a guy who can be their center fielder long-term? Or eventually do you have to move him to a corner? And at that point, is he worth it? Uh, does he give you enough with his bat to be uh, a corner outfielder that you want? So it, it's, you know, they have a lot of really interesting and good pieces. There's a lot there, but it's just really hard to figure out what the best fit of everything is. Uh, and that's that's the real challenge facing this front office, I think. 
No, but I think you make a good case for Real Muto. And as far as him specifically, he is an athlete. Uh, he might be able to age better than maybe some other catchers back there because he's not there because he can't play another position or he just you know has a rocket arm or whatever it is. Like He's a true athlete. I mean, I remember seeing him rack up triples against the Mets when, when he was in Miami. He can run a little bit. So I, I certainly see the intrigue there. I think when you go back and you look at you know, how the Mets could have done things differently after hiring Brody Van Wagenen. If he had gone all in to do whatever it took to get JT Real Muto versus the deal that we saw with the Seattle Mariners, I mean, how, how different are things? If you're willing to give up Jared Kelnick, I mean, I got to think Real Muto would be on the table, even if maybe it's going to cost you in a mid Rosario or somebody you really got to swallow hard on. Yeah, that was uh, another aspect of the uh, Cano trade that maybe we don't talk about as much is if you were willing to trade Jared Kelenic, uh, you probably could have gotten someone that that impacts the game on a more regular and more consistent basis than Edwin Diaz. Uh, so that's, uh, I'm, I'm sure Mets fans are, are pining for reasons uh, 7, 8, and 9 why that trade is, has not been a great idea. But that could be, that was a first guess at the time. That was something people were talking <laughs> oh, yeah, about. Just, yeah. you know, what are you going to give up for you know, Real Muto, and I remember it was like Nimmo and Rosario and maybe Conforto. He was a guy that came up in those discussions kind of, well, that's all a turnoff. But, you know, Kelnick, considering how well thought of he is now, it wasn't to the same degree then, but he was well thought of. And that would have, I got to think, at least opened the door to a, a long conversation with Miami. Yeah, I mean, he would. I, mean, I think Sixto Sanchez was the pitching prospect that that highlighted the package Philadelphia sent there, and I would assume. Uh, I know Sanchez was a top hundred prospect, also really well thought of in the game at the time of that trade. But uh, if you're if you're Miami and you're looking at two different packages, you'd probably lean toward the position player over the pitcher just because of the uncertainty. And a guy like Kellenic would have opened doors. You know, I would, the Real Muto trade rumors really picked up at the winter meetings that year in Vegas after they'd already made the Cano Diaz trade. And you're right, we were hearing. Nimmo, you're hearing Rosario, a little bit Conforto, even Syndergaard in like a three-way trade. Uh, there, there was that rumor out there uh, involving the Yankees, right? So, uh, you know, it, it was weird to me that everything was major league pieces for, for Rio Muto at that point, which I didn't think made a lot of sense from the Mets' perspective. Uh, but if you could have gotten him for minor league prospects, especially guys that you were willing to move, as, as they showed, uh, that might have made more more sense and made a bigger impact for the 2019 Mets and going forward now. And I'll tell you what, I mean, it's always easier to go backwards than forwards, but especially now when you start thinking about, you know, what the Mets could do going forward and looking ahead, you're considering the pandemic, the uncertain ownership situation. I mean, there's just so many variables that we've never really had to think about in the past, whether it be baseball overall as a sport or, you know, within the Mets who are on the market. And, and this has been going on for quite a few months now, and it seems will continue to go on for a while. It's just, uh, it, it's incredibly difficult to try to look ahead and say, Hey, this is the move the Mets need to make. Right. I mean, that's, that's always like the fun thing is to project out the, you know, what might yeah. the 2024 Mets look like? And, You've got no idea because you don't know what free agency is going to be like for the next several years for any team. And then uh, adding on top of that uncertainty is is what kind of spenders will the Mets be? Like, you know, you don't even know. It, let, let's say this was a normal 2020 baseball season. The Wilpons were going to stay in control of the Mets. They, were, they mm -hmm. weren't trying to sell the team. 
even then, you wouldn't really know coming into this offseason, well, would they be willing to, to spend all that money that, that Cespedes and Wright are, are taking off the books? You know, they would have a fair amount of money to spend. How would they use that? How would they, uh, how much of that would they be willing to use? Go get Mookie. Uh, so you, you know, in, in a, yeah, very normal circumstances, you wouldn't really know how this organization was going to operate this offseason. And now you've got uh, the two biggest confounding factors you could have, probably, uh, in a pandemic and a team sale hovering over it that, you know, maybe there's a scenario where the market for bets gets really low. The team has a new owner who wants to make a big splash right away. And Mookie Betts is a New York Met uh, from 2021 for the next 10 years. Uh that's an unlikely scenario, but it's it's probably on the board now in a way that it maybe wasn't uh, earlier. Baseball, just like life, right? Uh, no idea what we're looking at in the months, <laughs> uh, perhaps years ahead, I suppose. But uh, that'll do it on that uplifting note uh, for another edition of the Metrospective. Always a pleasure, Tim. Adios, Pete. <laughs>